Welcome. I'm your host, Carl Nelms, and this is the Bloke Psychology Podcast, where we discuss everything from men's health, mental health, relationships, psychology, masculinity, and pretty much everything that relates to being a man in today's society. Welcome back to the Bloke Psychology Podcast, guys. The end of Men's Health Week today on Friday, so we've pushed this episode forward to celebrate because it features a really interesting and passionate man by the name of Michael Ray. Now, Michael is really passionate, as you will tell, about a quality of parenting, and he shares with us how adjusting to parenthood and fatherhood later on in life, and a few years into that, being confronted with adjusting to becoming a single sole parent really opened his eyes to the inequalities that exist in our country from a policy level but also in terms of social norms and expectations around fatherhood and parenting and he really challenges us and highlights how a lot of these are in fact quite backwards in trying to promote and encourage fathers to take more responsibility and an equal role in parenting and raising their children. But overall, he shares with us some great tips on how we can all take steps towards achieving a society and a community where both parental roles are valued equally and the supports are there to enable both mothers and fathers to be able to take an equal role in raising their kids. Whether you're a father, know a father, want to be a dad, or you're a parent, whatever it is, I guarantee you're going to get some value out of this. I really enjoyed it, and you'll definitely hear from Michael down the track. Enjoy, guys. And we're live. Michael Ray, welcome to the Bloke Psychology Podcast, mate. Hi, Cal. How are you? Very well, mate. Very well, and very appreciative of your time to join us today. Now, Michael Ray, I've been following you on LinkedIn for quite a while, and you first caught my eye because you're posting a lot of things that not many other people are, and that's in the single dad fatherhood space. Tell me, how did you end up being the spokesperson uh, for this specific niche in Australia? Uh, Carl, it, it found me more than I went looking for it, but I, I think the catalyst was, uh, it's been just my daughter and I since she was, um, we separated when Charlie was about nine months old. And then from the age of two, it's just been Charlie and I. And her four-year-old ballet concert, I think it was, they decided that there were no men allowed in the backstage area. And I explained to them that uh, the three-year-old ballet concert we'd been to, I was there and it wasn't a problem. And the four-year-old one, I couldn't understand why. And they rattled off a whole lot of reasons, child protection and things like that. And that's why I said, oh, I've been a swim teacher for about 16 years. So I've got my working with children check. I was a program coordinator for YMCA. So worked with a lot of child protection policies going forward. All of the other mums jumped up and down, said, if Michael's not allowed backstage, we're not allowed backstage. So again, they balked at it. And at that stage, Australia was just having the marriage equality debate. So nicely point out to them, one day, hopefully, you're going to have two dads and two mums and, you know, you're, you're the liberal arts. You're meant to be the bastion of contemporary forward thinking type things. And uh, they still balked at it. And they kept saying to me, it's not about you. It's about all the other little girls. And I said, well, it's not about me. You're exactly right. It's about my daughter. My daughter can't be the only kid backstage and look around and go with a parent, with a parent, with a parent. Here I am being looked after by the teachers. So they asked if Charlie had a, a nan or an auntie. And I said, well, she's got both of those, but I'm her parent. And all of the other mums came to my rescue and you know, my posse had my back. That's why I said I'd become a, an honorary mum. And so they still weren't going to do it. So. Somebody said to me, well, this is reverse sexism. And it made me think, you can't actually reverse sexism. It, it's sexism is sexism, regardless <laughs> which way it's, it's going. So and it's a textbook 
definition of it. So I contacted the Equal Rights and Anti-Discrimination and the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, I think uh, Kate Jenkins at that stage. And I also contacted um, Susie O'Brien from the Herald Sun. I think within four or five hours, I've been contact contacted by Channel 9, Channel 10, Channel 7, Herald Sun, and it, we ended up international. Wow. Neil Mitchell's radio, and it was just all about dads and... So fair to say when I went back into the ballet school, I was just a little bit sheepish, sort of like, you know. And they they changed their mind. But the silly thing is, Carl, they, they did a no comment um, to all of the questions that went forward. And that's why I said to them, you know, it was never my intention to cause trouble. This would have been a beautiful opportunity for you guys to do, you know, we're so grateful to have a wonderful, diverse family you know, going forward with marriage equality, we want this to be normal and all the rest of it. And then after that, everything just kept falling in my lap. I suddenly became the expert. And as I often say to people, please don't think I was some woke, new age, forward thinking, uh, gender equality warrior right from the start. It's just as usual because it happened to me. It, it made me think and it made me aware and it was all of a sudden well gee now i understand how this happens for that expectation that women are well your main focus has got to be your children dad your main focus has got to be earning a living to support those women and there's no basis for it to happen and one of my favorite sayings that i, I keep pushing along it's it's not that mothers when it comes to parenting that mothers know best is simply practice makes perfect. You know, I was 49 when I had my daughter, 51 when I was on, on my own, and I had no idea. My preparation from my parents for parenting was basically, <laughs> you wait till you have kids and see how you like it. Yeah. That was, you know, there's some total of parenting advice that, that I'd received, but things get easier. And once you relax and realise there's no secret sauce, there's no... Um, you know, maternal instinct. There's definitely a parental instinct. But I think the experience for me speaking with mums and dads, because I get to participate as a peer in both groups, the mums feel all this pressure because they're meant to know, they're expected to know, they're meant to have all of this stuff. And it just loads so much pressure. Whereas us dads, we've been portrayed as bumbling you know, man-child for so long that as, as long as we don't drop them more than once a week and basically keep them fed, you know, we're super dads. So that's how it's all come about. And I think a lot of the well-meaning uh, experts that write books and things like that, the same as the fitness industry, have just made it so complicated that people are paralysed thinking they're doing something wrong mm. and, and they hesitate. And it's just, you know what, if you look at the difference in our cultural norms for raising kids, and I forget who it was, I think it was uh, Vygotsky that said different children from different cultures develop at different rates just because of what they're exposed to. And so your cultural and, and the way you were raised is going to, you know, determine how your kids were raised. Um, I think a lot of us dads, some of us are great dads because of our dads. Some of us are great dads despite our dads. So, yeah, I love that. that. That's such, I mean, that's such a common thing for blokes that we see say that I just want to be the father that I, I, I needed. But uh, I suppose that, that example that, that triggered all of this for you, Michael, the, the ballet school, I'm sure that's only one small example of, of ambiguous rules like that that sort of exist in yeah. different domains around fathers. But uh, as you were saying that, I was just thinking, what is that? sort of it re-emphasizes that dads take the back seat but what does that also tell the girls doing the ballet about the role of the father it, yep. it almost continues and encourages that expectation for yet another generation and that no no dads can't be trusted to be doing this dad mm -hmm. dads are out there just watching i mean what are some other examples since that that you've encountered in fatherhood um I think nearly every dad that I speak to, and I speak to a large groups of dads from all over the world, um, we've all been abused. 
or um, confronted when using a parenting room to change our kids' nappies as if we're uh, you know, an intruder type thing. And I've had, you know, ladies complain that they were breastfeeding while I've gone in to change Charlie's nappy and, and that's, you try and explain them, please, like, I understand if you're uncomfortable because now <laughs> I'm twice as uncomfortable as what you are, but I don't have an option. And then it, it, it's just the, the stuff that we do, the unconscious bias without even thinking and the fact that there are change tables in women's toilets but not in men's. Um, all of these things, when you look at the marketing that goes on, my daughter and I were at the supermarket one day and uh, she was eight, still is eight, and she knows, she said, Dad, why aren't there any boys on these packets? I said, oh, that's a good point. So we went out, we got a pen and paper and we came back in and there's a LinkedIn post I did on it and we photographed 28 different products that have women on them and we could only find two with men on them. And it was Mr Muscle. So if you need something big and tough and strong done, something that's hard, it's a bloke, and Mr Sheen. And I think the Mr Sheen was portrayed more as a, an expert type, you know, mm. something that had expertise, but everything from laundry powders, ba all, every baby product, there was one organic nappy that had a, a, a dad on it. And of course, it was a dad with the dreadlocks and all the rest of it, but even dishwashing liquid. And so at eight years old, my daughter picked up, gee, you know what? I'm being told that domestic duties are basically a, a woman's job. And I think at the moment, the stats are something that, women is controlling around 80% of the household uh, spend. So they're supporting these companies that aren't really supporting them. So it's this little insidious, unconscious, unspoken bias that has a huge impact because it's really easy to call out like the uh, ballet concert thing where I had so many overwhelmingly uh, positive feedback from, oh, that's just ridiculous and, you know, good on you for having a go. There were a few there that, oh, no, we've got to protect our children. And then I would say, I, I understand the protective need, but every child is with a parent, every single one. So if we want to protect children, my daughter would have been the only one without a parent there. So if you think that there's somehow an opportunity for a predator to go, right, I'm going to use my daughter to get backstage, you know, there are no cameras allowed backstage, so there's no photographs. I think we've become a little bit hyper-vigilant um, mm. and we leap at shadows a lot of times and it, it, it doesn't do society good because um, it's made me aware of certain uh, religious groups and all the rest of it, how they must feel when somebody does something and their religion is quoted as the motivator or something like that. It's just, I've got to go out in public and now, you know, I have this feeling like I'm being judged. And it's the same when I go into change rooms or did when Charlie was small, you walk in there with a, oh, I, I, don't, I don't really belong. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of pressure there. And I even found myself um, overcompensating for uh, being a male. So I went off and had hairdressing lessons because, you know, I didn't want people to think I was inept as, as a father and all of those little things where I felt I was always being judged. And you, you get through that once you realise that um, you're going to be judged anyway. That, that example, Michael, from the, the supermarkets, that's, I mean, one thing I talk about a lot, whether I'm interviewing people or being interviewed is just that societal narrative about men and stoicism and strength. And for that example, you and your daughter identified, I've never even thought about it like that. That that's, that's actually blown my mind. That's I'll, I'll send you the, I'll send you the post. And wow. That's okay. So, and I think back to, to the, when you're entering the change room. So just to be clear for those, those of us without parents, you, you're referring to a shopping centers, the, the parenting room, so to speak, yep. that isn't, isn't, it's not signed as a gender specific room, is it? No, apart from the funny thing is 
the uh, symbols they use for change rooms, it's always a woman. And again, I've posted on this, and again, there's that un, unspoken um, bias that's just there or that expectation. So, and what would happen is we get in trouble because my daughter's bladder is a lot better than mine at 58. So if we go out, I've got to go to the toilet more, you know, with Charlie's but go to the toilet before we go and she's right for the day, but I've got to make a few stops. But the problem is I can't leave her standing outside the men's toilet while I go. So a lot of times we go to the parents' room and I'll use the toilet while she waits outside. And we've been attacked for that. Excuse me, you could, you know, well, what about her? Like, I understand, but, you know, what about her? She's old enough to go to the toilet. She doesn't have to go to the toilet and I'm not going to leave her in the hallway outside the men's toilet on my own. And that's what I try and explain to them. The exact same thing that you're feeling, the exact same, oh, is he a predator? Is he, is, are my children safe? I've got the exact same thing with my daughter if I leave her outside. I can't leave her in the coffee shop and say, sit here on your own. I'll be back in a minute. I need to go to the toilet. It's, although there was one time, Carl, I did walk in and uh, I became a lot more confident. I walked in. Everyone was looking at me and I thought, oh, I'm not even going to bother today. I went into the toilet and closed the door and it was only then I realised I was at the shopping centre on my own. My daughter wasn't with me and I'd walked oh. into the parents' room. And, so I quickly came out and said, oh, I'm sorry. And so, you know, just that force of habit. But there's a lot of things like that. And I think that's where a lot of dads um, struggle with their stepping up is because we naturally defer because we've heard about maternal instinct, only a mother's love and all the rest of it. And that's why I say it's just such an outdated unhelpful it just reinforces those gender roles and a lot of us dads don't speak up if, if there was one defining trait it's like what am i going to do and i think a lot of we find identity in in what we do as parents so a lot of mums they feel that pressure they have to be the perfect parent they have to do it all they wanted so they become a little bit um as a gatekeeper so They'll leave instructions, big list, this is how you do it. And, you know, when I get to speak in mum's groups, I think the most common refrain I get, oh, my husband's useless. I wish he was like you. He can't do this and he won't do that. And that's why I say to them, do you speak to you about your children like that? The way we learn is by doing. Move out of the way and let him do it. Oh, but he does it wrong. Does it get done? Yeah. Do you offer suggestions or do you give instructions? Oh, no, I've showed him how to do it. Well, you know, we know the negative outcomes for helicopter parenting. Mm. You know, and that's what I say. And the way I try and parent is it's very easy to, to use what. This is what needs to happen. It's a little bit better and this is how to do it. But the best thing you can do is just give them the why. Manners, everything like that. I don't want you to say this and that and... Here's why manners are important, but you find your own way. And that's what I say with parenting. It's the why. Don't focus so much on the task at hand, but more on the life ahead. How is this going to serve them in the future? And I, I think I'm lucky I've built a life where I can take the time because nothing happens quickly on a, you know, a three-year-old schedule. And when I see people, you know, you're holding your kid to a standard that they're not developmentally ready and you're causing yourself the grief where you've just got to expect it and the the rush to move them through those developmental stages to fit into a, our adult world might seem noble and great but you can't build a six-story house without getting the foundations right and they'll happen and so with these expert parenting books by this age, this should be happening. By that age, that should be happening. And people drive themselves mad. And that's why I say to them, it just, it is what it is. Just, mm. you know, you, they'll develop as long as you give them room. And that that's, I mean, we were chatting just before we hit record, Michael, about uh, for anybody listening, Michael's also studying some developmental psychology through university at the moment. And we were talking about 
those developmental milestones and stages has been, they're more guides, aren't they? But to a large degree, especially as we were having a bit of a whinge about, uh, a lot of the developmental theorists who developed these frameworks are largely outdated. Not to say they're not useful or there's not empirical data behind them, but they are largely outdated because they were created at a time where fathers had very little day-to-day involvement in parenting. Yeah. 2,000 people in cohorts, the studies are still cited and not one father surveyed. In that. And to me, that's you would not get uh, funding for a study like that nowadays. It, no, it wouldn't be valid, would it? No. So, and, you know, one of the things that I, I've become very conscious of, and that's I get a lot of mums saying to me when I talk about the benefits that fathers convey to their kids with better educational and language and social and behavioural and, you know, they'll go, oh, but, you know, I don't have a man in my life. Is my child going to be damaged? And that's why I'd say to them, look at the behaviour, not the gender. So the qualities of roughhousing that are conveyed through that, the risk-taking, the, um, you know, decreases in anxiety and confidence and all the rest of it that dads normally do where we throw them high in the air and all of those things, it's not gender-specific, it's behaviour. And that's why I say even mum's doing those things, do it. I know that a lot of the things that mums do with the storytelling and all of the rest of it, is great for kids with their imagination and creativity. My daughter could talk the door off its hinges. And sometimes you know, I'm like, yeah, this is great, but I know that that's what she needs. So I do it. But, you know, a lot of men, too much of that strong, silent type. And when I say to them, let your kid be the guide. You're the assistant. You're the role player. Let them lead. And that's where the development happens. Don't. We, dad struggle a lot with, you know, this is how you do it and this is what it is and this is a hammer and you use it to do this. Let them figure it out, you know. It can be anything that they want them to be and just ask questions. And, you know, the the biggest thing that um, I find with dads, they want to fix things. They want to have a solution. They want to, and that's why I say to them, I say to my daughter at least six times a day, I'm not sure, bub, what do you think? And she'll go on. I say, well, that's great. I can see, and you can see their logic on the development states are at. It makes perfect sense. And, you know, I, I wanted to question everything. I wanted to question me. I, you know, and so nearly anything she asked me, Carla, is, well, Bub, what do you think? And she's very competitive. And people will go, don't you worry about her being competitive? And I've gone, no, because it's, it's within her, and that's why I say to her when she goes, Dad, I don't like losing. So yeah, but, but if you don't like losing, then you're never going to get to win because unless you're just competing against people who are worse than you or less skilled than you, you know, you want to do the hard stuff first. But concentrate on how it makes you feel. Losing doesn't feel as good as winning, but losing isn't the end of the world, is it? So it's... So I'd say we can either manipulate behaviour or we can inspire it. Mm. The inspiration takes a little bit, well, I've got to lead by example, I've got to do this. But the manipulation, the rewards, the praise, where sometimes if a child doesn't know why they're doing something but they know it makes their parents happy, I don't think that's a, a good thing. And if they're doing something to avoid punishment, it's still not a good thing. It's got to be that internal one. So you know, you've got to get them, in my limited understanding, to go inside. You know, and you know, Charlie will come home from school. Oh, Dad, I've got this going. Blah blah blah. I've got. How did it make you feel? Pretty good. And it, why? Oh, because the teacher said it was good. And I said, Yeah, but why does that make you feel good, Bob? Well, does it mean that you did well? Yeah. And it's well. So the teacher's really got nothing to do with it. It's you did well, so you should feel happy whether the teacher noticed or not. Did you do your best? Yeah. Do you think you could do better? Yeah, I think I could. Well, next time. 
next time, but there's always next time. It's, you know, and she's, she's great. But when you hear yourself coming back out of your eight-year-old daughter's mouth, I think you can do this, Dad. Really? <laughs> Give it a try. We, we made a cake for a birthday. She said, Dad, I want a, a fox cake. And she said, no, I want us to make it. I said, oh, Bob, that looks pretty hard. And she said, Dad, you just do your best and I'm going to love it anyway. <laughs> and it's like, right, well, you backed me into a corner with my own words. I've, I've got to do it. And then she says, and Dad, even if it doesn't turn out any good, we can just tell everyone it's a mutant fox cake that got melted in a nuclear storm. And if it's creepy and it looks funny, it'll be even better. And we did it and it turned out like <laughs> I surprised myself and this kid was so proud. Like, and that's what I say to dads. One of the biggest epiphanies I had, Carl, was one day when she said, Dad, I wish I was good at everything like you. And it's like, wow. gee, you know what? And then I remember back to my dad who could do anything. And it used to frustrate me that I couldn't, he could build anything with his hands. And, and it used to frustrate me. And he'd leave me to do it on my own. I used to think, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you helping me? Why? And now that I'm older, all of a sudden, bang. Well, now I know exactly, exactly why. And I look back. And so, you know, I set myself up to fail with my daughter because she's got to know, well, that didn't work, bub, but should we have another go? Yeah, yeah. And to keep trying, trying along at it. So, mm -hmm. you know, I that's, think a that's lot of That's not us, bulletproof, huh? Yeah, a lot of us as dads, we, we hide that stuff. So, you know, that's why I say to them, you know, I don't feel like going off to work today, but I've got to do it, you know, and we're lucky to be able to have work and we're lucky to be able to do this and I don't want to go away for the weekend. So what should I do to make it up for you? She went, oh, well, you know, when you get back, I want two days at the park after school and a swim. Okay, deal. So, you know, I get to go away for a couple of days to speak and things like that. That's beautiful, Michael. Beautiful. Tell me, I'm re I really want to throw this question at you because I'm not a father myself yet, but two of my best mates are fathers to daughters. And I've watched over the last few years that transformation in their personality, their priorities, everything, and just that bond between father and daughter. How special is that? And, and how, how did that change you as a person? Oh, Carl, it, it, it's, it's the best, best thing ever. It, it's, um, I've turned in, I've become emotionally incontinent. I'd say like I, I cry and, and not just the things to do with my daughter toilet paper ads or those phone home ads or christmas carols and just gone um my eight-year-old daughter teases me you know so like dad not again <laughs> shut up like don't tease me <laughs> um it it um it makes you aware of um i i don't want anyone to speak to her, I don't want badly. I don't want her to have to work for anyone's love or attention. And it just makes you realize, you know what? If if I parent in a coercive, controlling, um, dominating way, that she may find that in her future relationships or um, become that way herself. So, I always tell her, but, you know, if, if I snap at you or if you think I've done something wrong, you need to speak up. So you've got to tell me, Dad, I didn't like that. You said this. If I don't keep my promises. Um, but it's made me a lot more aware. I've lost a lot of friends when, you know, they'll send me inappropriate stuff through Messenger or something like that. And I just say, guys, seriously, leave me out of this stuff now. I'm not comfortable with it. And, you know, and they say, oh, you know, it's ever since you've had a daughter, you know, you're trying to, you know, I say, no, I've never really liked it, but I didn't have the courage or the motivation to actually stand up and speak out. And that's what I'll say to these people when they say, oh, has fatherhood changed you? And I don't think it has. I think it reveals mm -hmm. who you really are. And um, 
parenting is as much about self-improvement as what it is development for your children. You find stuff that about yourself that didn't work, isn't helpful, has no place that you're probably doing for other people. And once you go, you know what, I've got my why in life, I've got my daughter, I don't care what I achieve, what I accumulate, how much money I have, if I fail as a dad, I'm nothing but a failure. And then I realised everything that my dad did was for his family. Everything that my mum did was for their family. And it's um, it's like a massive stress test, engineering stress test on a bridge. We're going to load on all of this extra weight that the bridge will never carry and we're going to find the weak points mm. so that we can fix those just in case. And I think that's what... Um, parenting did so you become a lot more protective of your time so those time wasters and stuff where you tolerate and some of the invites where you'd, you'd go just out of being um, that sense of obligation all of a sudden it's like you know what I'd rather be sitting on the front step feeding the magpies with my daughter and that's you know that's what I'm going to do because by the time a couple more years I'm probably going to be too embarrassing for it to to want to hang around with, yeah. but it's that connection that, that's everything. That's incredible, Michael. And I can even relate to that thinking about my own own mates, that that priority and being protective of their time. Because I know, especially one of them, I you know, I'm always come out, come do this. And he said, uh, I knew he had changed or he'd sort of, as you said, his true self had come out after having a daughter because he said to me, he goes, honestly, all I want to do is go home and spend time with my family. He goes, I don't want to go to the party. I don't want to catch up with you guys for dinner. Now, it's a fine line in terms of neglecting yourself as well. But for him, he said, no, no, no. None of that's important anymore. And you think, wow, just how the daughter and any child is going to internalize that, that I'm important, I'm I'm worthwhile, I'm worthy. I mean, that that's... That's awesome. I mean, I love your analogy to the, the stress test, Michael, because a lot of the guys who come into our clinic or that I see, unfortunately, it's interesting. They'll come in and they'll talk about anxiety, depression, addictive behaviors, and you start to unravel things. And oh, so it seems like this all sort of reared its head two years ago and you became a father. And I mean, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about sort of those postnatal issues because, because of those societal pressures, but also a lack of support in society for fathers to step up and be an equal parent. I think guys are almost in this no man's land. We're still expected to be the breadwinner and do all of this, but we're still expected to be, I suppose, uh, the 21st century parent, but the societal supports aren't there. I mean, even maternity leave versus paternity leave and the, the toilets, like you said, how hard is it to actually be a parent, let alone a single parent? Because I'm sure a lot of people listen to you and go, he's always, he's confident. He's always known this, but I imagine from day one, this was not easy. Carl, the, sometimes the worst things uh, you need, it's nearly like a control alt delete. It, it's a reset and it's like trying to remove the pressure from a plug pipe when there's still a lot more pressure. It's either going to burst or you've got to relieve some of the pressure before you can actually fix the blockage. When my daughter's mum and I first separated, I'd been sick for a little while. We separated and I had a small car accident, did the bloke thing, went out, Big bender, got drunk, stayed out for a few nights, had a small car accident, and they just took me in to scan my neck. And uh, the airbags didn't deploy anything like that, but they said, you know, we're going to take you in. And when they came back, they said, right, now we want to scan you back from the waist up. Okay. Waited. It was now about 4.30 in the morning. Got up, got dressed. Typical bloke thing. Ah, I'm fine. And uh, I staying at my mum's house, seven o'clock in the morning, she's banging on the door. There's an ambulance they've sent out the front and you've got to go straight back into hospital. You've got uh, pulmonary embolisms, like bilateral, your lungs are clotted and if the clot moves, you're dead. Get back in there, they put me straight up in the thing and doctor comes in and he says, right, explains to me about the blood clots and uh, that's why I've been feeling so tired and sick for a while before, but being a personal trainer, I was just... Gee, I've got to work on my cardio, not a problem. 
And then he says, and then the oncologist is going to be through to speak to you about a plan going forward once we've got this under control. And I actually said to him, I said, oncologist, I don't have a vagina. Why do I need an oncologist? And he, <laughs> he said, no, that's gynecologist. He said, didn't they tell you last night? And I said, no, I got up and got dressed. And he said, well, we've found a couple of uh, nodules in your lungs. And I said, hang on, what's a nodule? He said, well, we call them nodules instead of tumours because until we know what they are, if we say, you know, they might be benign, people will jump to the worst thing. We've found some masses in your brain, some lymph nodes and kidney problems. And it's like, you're kidding me. And my sister had driven me, because uh, we turned the ambulance away, my sister had driven me back in. She was outside the room. She came back in and she said, you know, what did the doctor say? I said, you're not going to believe it. And I, it was the darkest, scariest, you know, right, my daughter's gone, this has all happened, and um, I was broken. Scared, I went to the darkest, scariest places, you know, just the treatment was horrible. The, um, the court at that stage had to continue on with the separation and in the end it worked out really good because I got 50-50 custody straight off the bat, which was unheard of. But it just made me realise, you know what, time, it's just about time. I'm already 50 years older than my daughter and I'm, all of the other stuff, all of the uh, peripheral stuff that I used to think was important, all of a sudden nothing was important apart from spending time with my daughter because who knows. And um, that's why I say to guys, I, I don't have to imagine it like you. I'm not asking. I don't think that you can actually picture it until you've been there. And I went from this big, tough guy that was just terrified, just um, horrible and, uh, you know, could have so easily gone the other way. And when I speak to a lot of guys about it, and that's why I say, when they say, we hear a lot about guys having lost, lost the battle, through cussing, they say, oh, because they broke up, because of then that's why I said, and please don't assign a reason for, you know, they're, they're losing the battle with their mental health because there's only one reason for that and it's their mental health. And, you know, they've fought the battle and fought the battle and just on that day they've been overwhelmed. They're just So there's a, a straw that breaks a camel's back. And I know with me, if, if I couldn't stay connected with, my exercise, and a lot of times I didn't feel like doing it. But once I went that close to the edge and I looked and I thought, what would I have done to my daughter? What would I have done? So, um, you know, and I, people say, oh, but you're so happy. But you say, and so I say, it's all an act. So, you know, I get people send me messages saying, I'm worried about my friend. I'm worried. I said, what are you telling me for? Why aren't you around there? Like, you know, oh, but he says he's all right, but you know he's not, mm. you know. And and even if he is now, he might not be tomorrow or he might not be at midnight tonight when he hasn't slept. So, you know, you've got to stay on him because bare chance he's not going to ask for help because he already feels like he's failed in some way and he's just going to feel even more, more that way. So don't wait for him to ask, you know, just keep on his back and, you know, be that pest because... I would rather have a pest for a friend than a pesty friend that doesn't have a friend. You know, it's just, it, it's, I, you know, in the last couple of years, Carl, I think I, we're up around 13 or 14 people that um, have taken their lives as a result of just not staying on top of it. And that's why I say it's, you know, we're all fine one day and then it's just you can't carry the weight and that moment. And it's just, you know, too late. Mm. Oh, well, especially it's very uh, timely as well, being Men's Health Week, you know, today, the end of Men's Health Week today on Friday. Michael, what needs to change in Australia? And I know that's a huge question. I'm sure you get asked this a lot. But what do you think that next big thing you'd like to see change from a societal point of view or maybe it's some policies or maybe it's just a conversation or, or a norm that we start to redefine? The, 
there's never been a better time to be a, a father than what it is now. But that also adds a lot of extra pressure. You know, dads have always wanted to be more involved and more, more present in their kid's life and be there for those milestones. But what happens is because we earn more, we get locked into the thing, well, I'd love to take the day off or take some time off. But because my earnings are so much more than my wife's, it makes sense or it's, you know, better monetary wise if she takes a time off. So that plays into it. Then we miss it. Then what happens if the divorce goes south? I don't think the family court is biased against men, but it just wants the status quo to continue. So when you turn up and go, right, I now want 50-50 child custody, and the judge will say, well, did you have it before? Did you do 50%? And the response is normally, no, I was out earning a living to support my family. Well, that has to continue anyway. So they just maintain the status quo. They don't actually skew the results. So I'd say say to guys, don't expect the family court to give you the opportunity to do after your separation what you always had the opportunity to pursue to do before. So have those discussions with your boss about, you know, I want some flexible work. I want a four-day week. I, you know, want these things. But a lot of the male-dominated industries like transport, construction, things like that, Work from home isn't an option. So, again, that feeds into it. So if men campaigned as hard as women do for equal pay and equal opportunities, that would help. When men are upset about having to give away part of their super in the divorce settlement, and so I said, you know, if you campaign for superannuation to be paid as part of the paternity uh, maternity leave, you probably wouldn't have to do that because they're not out to penalise you. They're an out to try and find an equitable solution to an unequal situation. So if you get that equality, because no super during maternity leave is a penalty that only affects women. So it's got to be evened up a little bit. So the first point of contact for new parents in Australia, it's called the maternal child and health nurse. Mm. With up to one in 10 men suffering from postnatal depression, what a missed opportunity for, you know, I've never been made to feel more like a third wheel. You walk in, right, Mike, there's a chair over there, sit there with a mum, how are you doing, blah, 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 and stuff like that. Meanwhile, you know, one in 10 dads are sitting in the corner screaming on the inside, I'm struggling, but, gee, this is all happening to mum, it's all about her, I've got to support her, I've got to keep going because it's happening to her. And, you know, it it's killing men because of it, rather than if it was a parental health and child right, dad, how are you doing? Because a broken dad can't support a struggling mum. And, you know, we dads have all got to be seen as supermen and we're not. We're we're killing ourselves because we don't speak up. The equality debate for too long has seen, been happy to classify breadwinning as somehow separate to caregiving. And when you look at the statistics for the 20% of children who do live in poverty, it's a vital part of it. As a solo parent, am I somehow not caregiving when I'm out earning money to enable to do it? So we've got to get rid of that. It's all one part of the, the pool. But the, you know, the, the biggest thing I would like to see change is the shared parental leave has to happen the the partner pay if a lot of the times you call it a debate we'll hear about the un, undervalued and unpaid nature of caregiving dads in australia are currently are entitled to two weeks at minimum pay which is just ridiculous is that through, is that through centrelink is it michael yeah yeah okay so that's that's across the board so partner pay two weeks at minimum so of course Mum's recovering from from childbirth, so she needs some time off, breastfeeding, all the rest of it. But if Dad could take another six months, so Mum does the first six months and then Dad does it, all of the studies show that Dads who take on uh, full-time care duties early, it increases their uptake of household duties, gives them confidence, and they're less likely to defer to women 
going along. There are even, there's a, an abundance of studies that show that dads are able to attend all of the pre-birth scans and doctor's appointments and all the rest of it have a higher involvement in kids' life for the duration of their life as well. Well, because it sets the precedent, doesn't it, Michael? That's I mean, it. it sets the precedent, but also improves the the new father, especially the new father's confidence in the involvement. I mean, as yeah. you say that, I, I think of my family is Swedish, so I know very a lot about the Scandinavian system and great system. It's it encourages people to have kids and encourages fathers to be involved. And I, don't quote me on this, but I think it's something like when you have a, a newborn, it's six to twelve months leave yeah. that both parents get that you can use at any point in the yep. child's first, first five years, isn't it? Yeah, first five years that you can use it. And how good is that? And you think about even a policy like that, what that says to mums and fathers. It says, you guys are equal. We value this because as we both know with developmental psychology and all of that, those first five years are pivotal. Yep. Like you said earlier, they're the foundational years. Yeah, they're so, good. The first thousand days, like, and that includes the, the time in the womb, the child's brain is growing, but it also sets the child up as well. And it sets the patterns to be able to expect it from their relationship. So it's not, if anything comes out of the higher divorce rate, hopefully there won't be mum jobs and dad jobs. There'll just be shit needs to get done jobs. So, you know, when they're with dad, he's doing the cooking and he's doing that. But as dads, we've got to stop living down to that bumbling dad and that all the rest of it. One of the things I, um, I absolutely love at the moment is to be able to sit with a group of dads who are present, involved, and it matters, and talk about dadding stuff. We still have our jokes and still have our laughs. And the, the difference I see between mums and dads, mums take it so seriously. Like, And I think it's because they have that pressure to... Um, what a you know, super mum, isn't it? Yeah, super mum. Whereas dads are, yeah, I, I mucked up. We talk about our our failures more than mums tend to feel like they need to hide them. We'll talk about them, but there's still that underlying current of this is important, this is good, and to be able to sit around with a like I love it, just love it. And in in our little dads groups, we've got heart lung transplant surgeons all the way down to truck drivers who works two weeks on, two weeks off, and just loves the two weeks off with his kids. And that's what he says, you know, great. I, I work flat out so that I can have the two weeks off rather than working a three or four day week and having bits and pieces. And him and his wife are separated, but he said, it's great. She goes off and does her thing. And it, it's just, just fantastic. But we, we really need to stop with the maternal instinct type stuff because it, it rather than a parental instinct because mm. it pressurizes mums and it makes dads doubt themselves and you know i'm lucky my dad's passed now he never got to meet my daughter but my mum you know mum what do i do you figure it out and it's like but mum what do you just you know if if she's crying she's you know it's either nappy hungry or wind it's not hard and you know i I'd say to people, they say, oh, what about sleep? How did you get it to sleep? And I say, well, I didn't. Oh, how did you cope? Well, I didn't. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's bloody, it's hard. But w when your expectations are violated, when you go in thinking, if I do sleep training and if I do this and if I do that and, it, and it's all going to work out and this is what I read will happen, it, it doesn't take into the account the unique nature of your children and it, you know, the practical joke nature of the whole concept of having a kid. It's like, you honestly thought this would be fun. It's like, yeah. yeah it's, it's about, about acknowledging it's going to be bloody rough at times, isn't it? Especially for new, new parents. Michael, yeah. this, my, my wife is going to hate this episode purely because I'm going to become even more clucky than I already was. Um, you know, I, I think we could chat for hours cause, uh, you know, it's, I'm hoping to become a father in the next few years. And I love the fact that a bloke like yourself in pretty simple Aussie terms is so passionate about fatherhood and giving a voice to a lot of these things that I hadn't even thought about. They're, they're incredibly valid and really significant points that I think we need to start shifting in our society. But just lastly, what's, what's next for Michael Ray and where can people get in contact with you? 
Um, I've got a website, uh, michaelray.com.au. A lot of the media on there. Um, lots of podcasts, lots of media opportunities. Have a book about a third of the way through. Um, isolation actually hindered it with the, the homeschooling. But yeah. Um, yeah, and just I just want to keep being a an advocate, uh, not not for dads so much, but for equality and for our children because both both parents need to be involved. Children derive great benefit from that. And as I was saying earlier, it's you know that respectful nature of the conversation that must be happening for both parents to be involved and present in a child's life is one of the underlying things that has a lot of the effect for children. So, yeah, it's, and just basically saying, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And just a wake up call for people. Forget about a lot of the stuff, because in the end, the only thing for certain is your kids. And the only thing that matters is connection. Good point to end on, Michael. Thank you so much for your time. Check out Michael Ray's website. We'll post it in the show notes. He also does speaking as well, so you can hire him for a different event or a different uh, conference or whatnot that you've got going on. And once he publishes his book, he'll let us know and we'll give him a big shout out. Thanks so much for your time, Michael. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you, Carl. Really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in to the Bloke Psychology Podcast. If you like what you heard, please share the episode with a friend or family member subscribe to the podcast or leave us a review if you want to get in contact or find out any more about the work that we do at bloke psychology just head to blokepsychology.com.au and be sure to follow us on instagram and facebook thanks again for listening